This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Okay, so LP, we have got a very special international guest joining us, which we're really excited about. I know, we're going global. Look at us, episode three and we're global. (laughs) So Jane Franklin, welcome to the Women Speak Cyber podcast. Really, really excited you could find some time to join us. We really appreciate it and looking forward to talking to you. I'm so excited to be here and to be speaking to you too. It's just so brilliant. Thanks for having me. So Jane, we would love to start with, um, I guess, a bit about your your journey to where you are today and anything you can share about how you found your voice. You know, have you always found public speaking something that comes naturally to you? Yeah, love love to hear about that if that's all right. Yeah. Um, so my journey into cybersecurity probably was not very standard at all. So I have a background in woven textile design. So I come from an art and design background and that was my passion. And I fell pregnant after graduating and my whole life changed. And I ended up working in, I ended up starting a business in technology. And because I didn't know anything at all about tech, the only thing that interested me at that time when I looked at technology was AI or security. And AI was far too new in in 1997. So I've been in the industry for over 23 years. So yeah, so it was a case of, okay, let's get on, let's build this business and let's start with with a focus on security. And the reason I picked security was because it sounded, it just sounded really cool. It sounded a little bit like James Bond. You know, it sounded, yeah, it just sounded really interesting. And of course, it's it's not necessarily like that, or it certainly wasn't like that in 1997. It was very tech orientated and it was called something different like IT security or network security or information security. So that's kind of how I got into the industry. I went straight into entrepreneurship in my 20s, focusing on on security and building a business. And then as that business kind of went along, I have a, a really good habit of spotting trends and I can see patterns and things like that. So I got access to, to people, to leaders, to other successful entrepreneurs. I asked them and quizzed them and I read and then decided to niche down and, and focus on penetration testing or ethical hacking five years later. So that's that's kind of how my journey into the industry came about. So I had that a very, very well respected, highly technical company for 16 years that specialized in, in penetration testing. After that, I came out of the industry for a while to really kind of challenge myself. I was in a situation where I had non-compete clauses from my business and things like that. So I needed to work those through. And then I came back into the industry and really wanted to focus on helping entrepreneurs to grow and scale their businesses. And all was going really well until I happened to write a blog about women 
in the industry and, you know, how low the numbers were. And certainly having been in the industry for so long, I didn't realize that the numbers were actually declining or stagnating. And so I I wrote a, a blog about this and about my experience in the industry. And that just went it went mental, you know, so it was just that in a good way. And I was so scared about writing this blog. I thought, oh my God, just be brave, like press that LinkedIn button. And no one can take away that experience that you're providing here from you. So I did that. I came back from my walk, you know, with my dog thinking, oh my God, open up LinkedIn because I published it first on LinkedIn. And there were really good comments. So hundreds of comments were, were coming in and they were all really positive, actually. So that led me on to write more. I was invited to write for a magazine. So I extended that. And then over Christmas, I decided to do a bit more research and I thought I'd turn it into a report. Asked on LinkedIn if that was wanted. And then I thought, hang on a minute, this is 15,000 words. It's half a book, half the minimum size of a book. I knew that. And so I contacted a publisher that I knew and and I said, look, I've done this. It's nothing to do with my business at all. Should I do it? And she said, you would be crazy not to. So again, not wanting to put time into something that wasn't needed because time is money. And, you know, when you're in business and you're a small entrepreneur and things like that, you really feel, feel that so much. So I decided to do a Kickstarter campaign to really test the market. And that was the money that I needed to publish the, the book was, was raised in about five days. And I was shameless about like pitching. It was just like, it, people were laughing. It was really funny, actually. People were just like calling me Bob Geldof and saying it's like, because <laughs> I was so shameless. I was like, I want your money. Give me your money. It's just like, this is what I'm going to do with that. And so it's very much a feel good. And then, of course, I raised the money and then it was just like, oh, my God, now you've got to write it. And by the way, you've got these these sponsors and, and it has to be a, a really good book. So that book really was a research project. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I knew little. You know, I, I happened to be a woman who'd worked in the industry for a very, very long time. And that was it. I knew very, very little. So really went exploring, being very open-minded about what I was going to find. So it was absolutely fascinating. And that's when the speaking opportunities came in. So I am an introvert. I am really actually quite shy by nature. I live in the countryside. I get my energy as all introverts do from being away from people, from walking in the woods or the countryside or by the ocean or whatever, being away. Writing is very much an introvert communication method. So it's just like, great, excellent. I I love that. But yeah, speaking was so scary to me. It was like most people, I think that the second greatest fear, the first is, is dying. So when those speaking gigs started to come in, all I did was I said, yes, very quickly. I said, yes, thank you for giving me that opportunity. I'd be delighted to speak. And then literally, and I said it really quick. So that I couldn't kind of go, let me think about it or let me get back to you or, or something like that. It was like, yes, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And then literally, if it was on the phone or if it was in email, I would literally get off and kind of scream going, oh, my God. And I remember, <laughs> I literally remember, I remember uh, being invited to come and speak at, at ASA. I remember that year. It was quite funny, actually. That year, I knew that speaking was going to be really important to my career. And I knew I had to overcome that fear. And I remember walking with my dog and and kind of manifesting. So calling it in, having that intention and putting it out there to the universe, literally walking in this field, in this place, I can still remember it really vividly. And then literally a week later, I got two speaking gigs, one of which was from Asa. For me, I was petrified. I was like, oh my God, like, oh, well, I know I put that out there. And I never said I wanted that. And like the universe has delivered it to me. I'm like, oh my God. 
And I remember reaching out to one high profile woman and asking her and I said, look, this speaking gig has come in. The audience is technical. It's international. It's in Australia. I think at that time it might have only been 700. It's, it's much bigger now. It's thousands. And she said, we need people like you. Do it. We need people like you because I was just, I am not a technical person. I don't want to go over there and get slaughtered. And she was like, no, 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 we need people like you. My advice is is to do it. So she was really supportive. She became a really good friend and um, and has helped me enormously. Yeah. So I then said yes to it, thinking, oh my God, oh my God. But I also hold the kind of belief that I'm safe and protected. I'm safe and protected. And if I'm ready, because I'm safe and protected, all will be well. If I'm not ready, because I'm being looked after by something greater than who I am and what I know, or even what I can name, I'll be okay. So I said yes to it. And then probably a few months later, they didn't have enough budget to fly over international speakers. So they came back and they said, so, so sorry, but we can't do it. So by this stage, I was just like, oh my God, I'm so happy. (laughs) I've got out (laughs) of it. I stepped up, but I got out of it. So all I worked on was the universe is looking after me. I'm safe and protected. So that hasn't happened because I'm not ready. So so I do work on that perspective and say even with speaking opportunities on radio or TV and everything like that, I tend to say yes. If it's aligned to my mission, so I'll pick and choose. If it's aligned to my mission, I will step up and I will say yes. But I work on the basis, I'm safe and protected. So I'm looked after. All is good. If I'm not ready there'll be an intervention. I don't need to do anything because I'm safe and protected, safe and protected, I'm safe and protected. So it's almost like that circle of protection that I hold around me. So I held a vision. I saw me walking onto stage and everyone clapping and kind of really enjoying it. So I I went through and practiced what I was going to say and and all of that for weeks. I even would just drink water. So I was really committed to it. And then I also held the belief that practice makes perfect. So practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect. And then I gave myself time. So it was each time I would feel that fear in me. I know that actors going on stage have the same adrenaline rush. So my intention is always that I... I feel that fear because I actually don't want to disappoint the audience. I care so much about them that I really want to deliver something important to them. So I'm not thinking about necessarily myself. It's it's just I really want them to have that great experience. And when I go onto stage, I am so in the moment. I have no idea actually what the hell I say. And actually, <laughs> it's kind of like, it is kind of like that with the coaching that I do and everything like that. Magic happens, but I'm so in the moment. I'm so committed to serving at a high standard that that really help, helps me. And I really, I do prep and I do trust. And I do also let myself go more and more because the more you do, the more comfortable you get you know I could use the word confidence and words to me are really really important so I could use the word confidence but I don't like to because confidence is really just about how you see risk and it is about becoming more experienced in expanding comfort zones and things like that so I became more comfortable with being uncomfortable and more kinder to myself with maybe I didn't feel it went as well you know, again, I remember being on stage once. My daughter was in the audience. Again, this was in Australia. And I was I was doing this speaking gig. Uh, it was for Asa. It was a different one. 
And literally I got on there, my, my foot got caught in the stage. I was wearing stilettos. I thought I was going to fall over. The, the slider wouldn't work. I couldn't get just one. And all I could think was oblique, oblique, oblique. <laughs> <laughs> you're standing there in front of thousands of people and your daughter is in the audience. And it was just horrific for me. It was like the moment lasted forever. I was so, yeah. Well, I reckon we were both there when you did that. Um, and I don't remember seeing any of that. So um, you, you hit it extremely well. I did want to touch on some of the really interesting things that you just shared link really nicely to uh, our previous episode with Emily Edgeley, who's one of our coaches on Project Friedman. And she talked to us about that positive talk um, that, that you need to use when, when you're preparing and you're trying to overcome some of the negative things about public speaking and how you can kind of retrain those neural pathways to think in that positive vein rather than the negative. So it's really great to hear that someone as experienced and accomplished as you as a public speaker is using those techniques and they clearly work. So that's really, really great to hear. They do. And the other thing that I, I always do is I, I, I find a, usually I find a toilet and go into the toilet. If no one is in the, the bathroom, then I stand there doing the power pose with my arms on my hips, kind of going, <clears throat> you own it. You know, you're delivering a great presentation. I'm looking at myself in, in the mirror if there's no one around and just literally hands on hips and I'm standing there. Or if I'm sitting, because sometimes you can't always stand up before giving a talk. I sit there literally with my hands on my hips, kind of in that expansive position a few minutes before kind of thinking you own it you're delivering a great speech you're enjoying it and it's really important to condition your mind to like you love it you're enjoying it what I found is early on in in your speaking kind of career when you're doing these things is you've got to give yourself time so for me I remember the moment I enjoyed speaking at an event. And I remember holding on to someone who used to work for me, actually. And he said, he said, public speaking. But then I love it. Now I love it. And he was really good. He's a really great public speaker. And I remember holding on to his words. I used to hate it, but now I love it. So that kind of built some kind of hope that maybe I would enjoy it. And I do enjoy it because I'm able to share. But with this one particular speaking gig, I had done a speaking gig in the morning um, at one end of the country. I was in the UK and then I was traveling to London to do another one on my way back because I'd agreed to do this, didn't want to let someone down. And so I was on a train, the train broke. I was literally, I don't know if I'm going to make it, so texting and I got there just in time and I was so rushed. I literally went into the loose, did the power pose and then went on stage and I was in a feisty mood. And I was just like, (laughs) you know what? I'm just like, no bullshit. I'm going for it. And I was literally telling it how it is. And the audience were like aghast, you know, their mouths were dropping because it was mostly blokes. And afterwards, it was great because the organiser... Um, came up and he said, that, that was really good. We've never had, you know, we've been doing these events for, for years and we've never had so much controversy. Everyone was talking. Everyone was involved in a discussion. It was really, it really divided the audience. Someone said, you're, you're really brave having such a controversial speaker come and talk at your event. And that was the moment that I actually started to enjoy speaking at an event. And it really was. And I'd probably done about 10. I think I'd done about 10 speaking gigs. But from that moment, it's, it was actually like like this now. That's so good to hear because I'm sure many people out there are are wondering, do you ever get to love it from the point where you didn't? (laughs) Um, So it's really, it's really heartening to hear that you have kind of made that, 
that transition to, to really enjoying it. And that's definitely something that I would aspire to feel one day. And I'm sure LP would as well. Yeah. You've got a story to share, haven't you, LP? About, well, I was um, just going to say I do remember <laughs> um, I think your advice on saying yes quickly is really good because I am guilty of sometimes saying, oh, let me get back to you, and then I talk myself yeah, out of it. Exactly. I did it today. <laughs> I can say hand on heart I did it today. With one I said no, the other one I said, yeah, okay, sure, let's talk about it. But I know I'm guilty of putting it off because in my head I think, but surely there's someone better than me or Maybe I'll just recommend this person instead. And it's definitely a very good point to think about. And I think I manifest things in my life, but I've never thought about manifesting the speaking side of my yeah. <laughs> of my life. You know, I've put out there if, I, if I'm looking for a certain job or some sort of opportunity, but I've never thought about the speaking side. So that's really interesting to hear what you do with that. Call it in. Call it in. Use your power. We are so, mm. so powerful. When it's radio or TV, then... Again, you know, that can, that's slightly different, I think. I think that needs mm. to be more considered and you might need media training and things like that. I've done radio without media training and, and most people were like, you've got had media training and it's just like, no, I haven't. And this was on the most highly listened to radio show in the UK. <laughs> peak, peak time, <laughs> business pressure. You know, no pressure at all. I was prepping myself. And, but it did. and luckily the Samaritans were there and they were really great. They gave me some media training on the spot so they were they were so kind and, and held my hand they were amazing but yeah I think radio and tv is slightly different but speaking engagements just say yes thank you for giving me the opportunity like as fast as you can before talking yourself out of it yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great good advice very good <laughs> so Jane LP and I have both read your book and found it incredibly helpful insightful and it is so well researched that's one of the things I really love about your book is you just draw all of the, these insights together I guess I would love to hear about how you've now used what you've learned to help other women because you've helped me with with the personal branding course that I did with you a couple of years ago so yeah tell us more about that so the course that you did is is called In Demand 10X. So it's kind of changed a little bit. And really with that, what I do is I look at who you're serving. It's not about you to begin with, which most people expect. It's about who you serve. So who do you want to get in front of? Who do you want to attract? You know, so if we're talking about speaking opportunities and things like that, it, it could be event organizers. So you are literally finding out about what is going on in their world what they want, and really understanding the problems and the challenges that they face, the audience that you want to get in in front of. So say event organizers, so you can understand them deeply and position yourself as being the right kind of choice for them. So we really look at who you're serving deeply, and there's a methodology for that. So you can apply it to whoever you you are serving. So we get clear on that. And then we look at you. So what do you want? Because your whole life and career isn't just about being in service. It, you matter. You've got to be in service to you too. So it's getting clear on what you want, what your values are, what you want out of your career, what you want out of your life, how you want your brand to be, your voice to be, the style, how you want to look, how you want to feel. All of that is kind of designed and created. And it's not a case of, I need to create something that I'm not. It's about creating something that you are. So you start to kind of like build that and think about, well, who you are and what you want and how you want to show up. And then we go into looking at, well, how exactly 
do you do that? How do you build trust and trustworthiness? How do you build your voice? How do you build your visibility and get your message out there and and reveal your values so that you can attract the opportunities that you want? So whether it's speaking gigs or whether it's a team that you want to come and join your company or whether it's a new job or or whatever, PR opportunities. So we look at the the exact how-tos and then we look at really scaling that. So how can you actually scale it? So how can you build your voice? How can you write? How can you communicate better, whether that is through blogs or through speaking gigs or sound bites and podcasts or through video and YouTube videos and, and things like that? And then we kind of end up with, okay, now you're in demand. Now you've built all this demand. How do you actually manage it? So how do you say no to things? How do you keep focused? What do you need to say yes to? How do you do that? How do you deal with the media? So it's, it's, it's looking at well, we make sure that you don't get into an overwhelm. And then along the journey as well, we look at imposter syndrome. We look at how you are going to stand in your own way and keep yourself playing small because of the risk side of things. Because women do see risk in a different way to men. So how you're going to step in your own way and stop yourself invariably from expanding your comfort zones. So it's like all of this is all normal. It's all normal. It's part of a process. And that's what that program is all about. So for me, it's so important that we build women's voices. And I say build rather than find because women have a voice. So it's not that we need to find a voice. It's that we need to build it and use our voices. There's so much propaganda out there in the marketplace that we invariably tune into and unknowingly use the glass ceiling. Is, is one, storming the citadel, finding your voice, regaining your power. It's like bullshit. Women have power. We are power. We're a life force. So we don't need to reclaim it. We've always had that power within us. You know, so it's it's kind of changing the dialogue, changing the script, changing the indoctrination. And by doing that as well, by recognizing these things, particularly as, as women, that empowers us, that builds our strength. Because really what it's about, and that program is a classic example of not just the end result of now you're more visible, now you know how to write or speak or things like that. You're actually strengthened. You are more resilient. You are more empowered and you can pay that forward. So all of this, for me, it's about mobilizing. It's strengthening. It's empowering. It's making women more resilient. I want women to come into the industry. I want women to stay in the industry. You know, So we have a situation where we have women leaving because they're tired and it's just like you know what i'm fed up i'm just gonna leave um maybe i'm gonna have a break maybe i'll re-examine it maybe i'll go into this industry i can't do this anymore and for me that's i i can't allow that to happen because it's just like if you love this industry if this is where you're skilled and, and where your passion lies there's no reason for you to leave but what my job is to do is to help women to either find all of this information out, you know, their values, their voice, their resilience, find the companies that are more aligned to them and help the companies that are out there to step up and make sure that they are creating the cultures where not just women can thrive, where all people can. Yeah. I would say so much of what you said really sums up, I think, the experience of the cohort that we had go through in 2019. I think there was a lot of self-doubt, a lot of them who maybe didn't value themselves. And the 
confidence and the kind of the power that they got from this experience. They found new jobs. There were several that were unhappy that got better jobs with more pay. They realized that people actually valued what they had to say and wanted to listen to it because people came up to them after the sessions and asked for advice and questions. And I think they were just like, oh my gosh, people want to know what I have to say. And I I remember you coming out, I reckon it was like 2016 or 17 when we did our first Telstra Security Forum. And I I still remember the room because you said at the time, you're never going to progress if you just sit in the dark in the room and don't get out there and tell people what you're doing or speak to people or meet people. And I remember the guys even Um, And our CISO at the time going, I absolutely hate speaking, but man, she's right. I know I have to do this. Um, Even though I hate it with every being, I know I have to do this. She's absolutely right. And I think it really was a light bulb moment for so many people, including us, because we were in the room listening, going, yeah, she's right. We hate doing it too, to some degree, but we have to. If we want to progress, it's sadly, it's a part of it. I, I remember that too. I remember Jen, the chief of staff coming out and thanking me and saying, oh, my God, thanks so much. You got through to Aaron, the the sizer. And and, and he got it. What I think it's important to do is, yes, recognize that to a certain extent if you don't enjoy it and you're never going to enjoy it because you've done enough of it to to realize that you're going to have to suck it up. But it's finding the real meaning in it. So say the CISO's Baron's case, he found the meaning because it was paying it forward for future generations. And and even so many leaders I meet, they're the same. It's just like, well, who am I to? Who's going to listen? Who am I? And it's just like, who are you not to? People need to hear from you. People are inspired. They've got You've got such a great story. You are so valuable. And it's really, it, it surprises me when, when I hear leaders have this attitude. I can understand it more from entry level. It's just like, well, who am I? Da, da, da. And every level is is needed because they play a part and, and we're all moving through. So we need to hear from all the different levels. But it does surprise me at the leadership level and, and equally pitching. So pitching is, here's a story for you, owning your achievements uh, through your pitch. So I judge a lot of awards and I remember one award I, I was judging Amazing. It was a women's award. And um, there are a whole load of women there, amazing women judges. And and I introduced myself and kind of went through, I'm this, I'm that, I've done this, I've, I've done that. So a whole load of achievements and things like that. One of the women said to me, do you know what? I listened to your pitch. And she said, I thought it was absolutely amazing, really amazing. And I thought about my pitch. And this woman is phenomenal. She said, I thought about my pitch and I wasn't using it. I didn't reel off all the things that I'd achieved and I'd done this and done that. And so she said, I went and re-examined it and changed it. The next opportunity that I had, it was a speaking opportunity. I disclosed my achievements, what I had done, who I was. And the woman who was interviewing me said, I didn't realize you'd done all that. That's amazing. But here's the thing. I remember being in an engagement once and someone saying, more senior to me, saying, you don't need to reel off all of that when you're introducing yourself. You know, you're here. Everyone expects you to be at a certain level. You don't need to do any of that stuff. And I had his advice and I went off and I thought about it and spoke to a few people. And then I went back to him and I said, just out of interest, have you had negative feedback on my pitch? 
And he said, no, not at all. I said, because here's where I'm coming from. Whenever I do introduce myself and I reel off who I am and what I've done, most people, in fact, all people are just blown away and they're just like, oh my God, that's amazing. Well, how can I follow that is usually a comment that comes up and I never ever would ever want to make anyone feel intimidated by it. But the reason that I do it, and this is why I was explaining to him is because if I don't do that, I am playing small. I am denying everyone else around me to understand how they might benefit from me. And I'm also encouraging other women to own their stuff, own your achievements. Don't play small because someone is uncomfortable with what you've done because maybe they haven't done as much as you and they're feeling it. So for me, it really is about owning what you've done as a woman. So using your voice and really leading. And if you aren't in a leadership position, you're leading yourself. So you're always, whenever you are working, you're always setting an example to others. And you're also setting an example for yourself. Own your achievements. Really own them. Don't shy away from them. Shine your light. Because by shining your light and owning it and communicating it is actually helping other women too. And when I explain that to him, he was just like, okay, now I get it. It's irritating because we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to do this, but we do. And that's the position that that we're in right now. So for me, it's important that I'm true to who I am, but I am paving the way for other women to shine and to use their voice and to own their achievements and to communicate those from a spirit of and a position of energy that is loving and giving and caring and inclusive. Just so many, so many good nuggets in what you just said there, Jane, and um, trying to take it all in and, and process it. And I just think you have definitely paved the way for others and you're shining a light for others and doing such amazing work in this space. What would you say to people who kind of say, well, I just don't feel comfortable putting myself out there or I think I've heard I've heard the phrase you used before, like tooting my own horn. I love that. I love that description. Like, why do we find that so uncomfortable? Because we're judged. We are worried about judgment because often we are judged. We're judged more harshly by men and women. So take trolling, for, for example. I've been trolled in the past and see other women being trolled or judged negatively. We are judged negatively. In the book, there's a story of Heidi and Howard. So two individuals, it's actually one individual who is a, a leading woman. You can go and either read the book, Insecurity, or look at this, or find the study and have a read of it there. But this high-powered woman nailing it in, in her niche, in her industry. And when students or um, selected group were asked whether they they liked her, trusted her, would want to work for her or him because they were presented with the him and her scenario. What came back was they appreciated her, they recognized her achievements, so they didn't want to work for her, they didn't like her. You know, so he was viewed more positively. As it, as it happened, there was only one person and it was her and she was a real, real person. But men are allowed to have these traits to toot their own horn. They're not judged because they're not breaking a stereotype. So we are still not the norm. We're still not the norm yet. So that's why we need to reach the tipping point, the 30% tipping point. We need to build and we need to increase gender diversity for the sake of the planet, for the sake of better decision-making, for the sake of better risk-taking and so on. So it's massively important. We definitely agree with that. 
<laughs> How do you get speaking slots? Like I know you talked about, you know, you you did some and then more came and, you know, having that, uh, what you want to be known for, what you want to speak about being visible. But at the same time, is there something you have to proactively go and do as well? There are lots of things that you can proactively do. But one of my top tips is literally if you want to speak, and this is interesting from research that I did, because I did a big research study actually a couple of years ago on whether women want to speak at events, because event organizers were telling me they couldn't find women. Women aren't there, they don't want to speak. And then women were telling me, I do want to speak. How do I get speaking gigs and things like that? So I I did a big research um, study and found that 91% of women are either speaking or want to speak. So there you go. So that was 2,000, it was about 2,500 people from all over the world. So there was over 100 women in each data set. So it was a very significant study. So the best advice that that I can give when it comes to, to speaking is Put the fact that you are a speaker, whether you are an aspiring speaker or not, whether you've had your first speaking gig or not, but you want to be, stick the fact that you are a speaker in your headline on your LinkedIn. Put it in other social media channels, wherever you are, whether that's keynote speaker or speaker, but make sure you have that in your headline on your LinkedIn. What I found is that when I mentioned that I was doing the report for women in security all those years ago, so in 2015 or 16, the beginning of 2016, maybe, I was then invited to go and speak at events. So by visibly putting myself out there through blogging, I I was invited. So the more people that hear you, the better that you do, the more that word spreads that in my case, I'm, I'm not a funny speaker. I don't tell jokes and things like that. I'm more inspiring. Again, that comes down to your style. So yes, I am. You know, I tell jokes. I enjoy a joke and things like that. But I'm typically not the type of speaker who, who goes out there and cracks jokes all the time, whether that will happen or not. But I am very inspiring and come follow me. Come and do it for yourself. You can do it. So very empowering and encouraging and quite probably a forceful speaker. So word gets round. People in the audience hear you and you have to kind of give it time. And if you do well or when you do well, then you'll be invited to more events. And when you are a speaker and you're involved in conferences, say like for me, I make sure that we're inviting women speakers. And sometimes it can be challenging because of the way that some events are organized financially. So you can't have, if if this company is sponsoring an event, you can't have this female speaker who happens to work for that competitive organization. So even further limiting our, our pool. So there are restrictions for some speaking events, but best tip is get yourself out there, stick it in your headline and start to make it known that you speak or are an aspiring speaker. Call it in, set the intention, visualize it, and it will only be a matter of time before you get invited to events. Just make sure you are voicing that, making making sure that other people know that you want to speak or you're ready to speak or you are speaking and want more speaking gigs. So let them know. Let them know. That's that's great advice. Yeah. And maybe one last thing to, to finish up on, because LP and I like to share personal stories on here. Jane, you may recall when I did do your amazing course, one of the questions you asked me, and I'm sure many people can relate to this is, you know, why aren't you writing any articles on LinkedIn? And I, I remember responding to you and saying, because I don't, 
think anyone wants to hear what I have to say. What would you say to somebody kind of thinking that today? Yeah, don't play small. You're playing small. I mean, it's it's not, why would anyone not want to hear what you've got to say? You've got experience. You know, so why why would they not? In in your case, I do remember saying that. What was interesting actually when you took the program, you took action within 24 hours. I remember being sitting in my hotel room and you emailed me and you revised your profile, your summary and everything like that. And you said, <laughs> is this is this how it should be? And it's just like, great, I know I'm working with a pro. 24 hours, you've taken action, <laughs> you've done it, you're on the game. So it was just immediately <laughs> for, for me, brilliant. And you've done that all the way. And I've seen your your progress and how frightened and scared you were and how sometimes they dragged you in front of a camera to come mm-hmm. and speak. Yeah, I'm not doing it. It's just like, yes, you are. You're coming with me. I'm out in Australia now. You can't get away from me. You're doing it. And how you have, hearing you speak at events, you've grown so mm. much and so stepped up. So it's just, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, you can do it. And it's important for, particularly for a woman at any level, whether they're a student, whether they're a child, you know, it's just like, get yourself out there. Every single level, you are being an inspiration for someone else. So it's just that you have experience, you have a voice, you have a take on things, which is called thought leadership, your opinion. So use it, get it out there because other people will be inspired and you don't know who you're helping. Most of the time, I don't know who I'm helping. I don't hear the stories. It's only if they come back and say, actually, remember that time? And it's just like, well, this is what's happened. So I really want to thank you. And literally, it makes me cry every time I read a story like that. Every time I hear a story, I'm literally there sitting in tears because it's just like so, there's so much joy, tears of joy. It's just like brilliant, excellent, another one. And then it's the domino effect. Who can you help? It's just like, that ripple, the, it's it's incredible. The butterfly effect, the domino effect. It's just like you don't know who you're going to help. Get your mm. voice out there. Start communicating. Start sharing. So much magic happens when you do that. Inspired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jane, for joining us. It's been so good to catch up with you and, and chat about this shared passion that we have and yeah thank you again hopefully we can speak again soon and hopefully we can see you in person one day soon that's oh, i so hope so it's just yeah. open your borders <laughs> yeah. yeah we look forward good. to that day yeah I can't stay wait safe it's so good yeah same to you same to you too it's been so good chatting to you thanks jane thanks jane thanks bye this podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the australian signals directorate For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.